right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another Serious Angler Network Tuesday Night Live. And you will notice, first of all, that we are Bailey-less tonight. And it is I, the captain, Andrew Full, joined by our business from the Bass Boat host, Adam Deacon. And as always, Tuesday Night Live is powered by X2 Power. And man, this is kind of wild. I don't think I've hosted one in probably almost a year it's kind of weird to be baileyless but uh adam thanks for joining and how are things over there in the pacific northwest man things are good andy uh you're doing great you're doing great hosting running running the show from the the catbird seat uh and uh no man things things are things are really good happy to be here and uh, and help on the serious angler side of things the pacific northwest is it's been it's been pacific northwesty rainy uh, rainy Snowy. and cold, uh, a little bit of snow mixed in and it's been some nice days too, but, uh, it's just been cool learning these lakes, man. Like I haven't spent any time, uh, except for this year and a couple tournaments, I guess here and there running, running Northwest, but it's, uh, they're really unique. They're really cool. They're just, uh, they've got some really big fish in them and just not a ton of pressure. So as far as for, for bass fishing goes, it's uh it's a, it's a pretty cool place to be doing a bunch of cricket tickling up there, having some. I have been, man. I've been cricket cricket tickling all uh, all winter. No, no yeah. doubt about it. That is, uh, it's a great way. Uh, great terminology from our our buddy Clint Bartlett. Uh, what a just what had a, a good way. show with him, right? Yeah, man. Great show with Clint. Um, if you haven't checked out on visit from the bass boat, just talking about the grind of the photography videography world for the guys that are chasing around these uh, professional anglers all across the country. It's uh, it's not all it's caked up to be. It's a lot of work. There's no doubt about it. Oh, absolutely. So, but anyways, we have an awesome show tonight, right? We have um, reigning AOI Matt Becker coming on from the BPT. But before we bring him in here, I have a question for you, Adam. Have you downloaded the new Omnia, like updated the Omnia app onto your phone? I have not updated it. Okay. Uh -huh. So for those who are premium pro <laughs> members, let's see if I can get this fixed here. I don't know how Bailey does everything. Well, I just ruined everything. So. Zoomed it in. <laughs> yeah, good. I don't know what I'm doing. But um, there's a premium uh, pro QR code, and I'm not sure how he adjusts all these layers. Maybe it's this one. Ah, there it is. It's figuring it out. But the, um, Omnia just launched a new app update, and there's all kinds of new layers that are included in the app, including like boat launch pins weather storm cells like hail and lightning so it's something if you're not a premium pro member you may want to go over and check that out you can scan the qr code if you're watching on youtube and uh go over there download it all kinds of sweet perks with it today it ends unfortunately but rods reels and a couple other things were 20 percent off save 10 percent on all your purchases you get free shipping on orders you get all kinds of exclusive deals in your emails, which I love because usually it's like Daiwa Reels and stuff and always have to hop on that. But yeah, you get some really neat information on the Premium Pro. Everyone who tunes in on a weekly basis hears us talk about it. Make sure you're not missing out and you get money back every time you buy products. So it's a good way to live by. So, but yeah, I just wanted to talk about that real fast. And should we get Matt on here and talk about his hot start to the 2024 season. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Just rolling right into 2024 okay. with, uh, with absolutely guns blazing, just like 2023. So it's, it's been awesome. To watch. And he's another Northern guy taking over like bass fishing, which is even better. Right. So let's yeah. get him on here. Hey Matt, how's it going? What's up guys? How are you? Ah, Can't complain, warm. man. <laughs> yeah. I heard that. Hey, I got a question right off the rip. What the heck is cricket tickling? Oh, Adam, yes. go ahead. <laughs> Let's go. No, we've just, I mean, it's, there's no, no secret about it. Uh, as of right now, we're talking end of February, 2024, right? The talk has been uh, forward facing sonar, but more specifically in my eyes, we've been talking about this. It's a, tr it's been a trend for a little while, but I feel like it's just really caught fire because all the derbies covered here lately have been jig head and a minnow, right? Mid strolling, whatever you want to call it. So on a show, we were, it was a fantasy fishing show. We were just going back and forth, joking around. And we came up with Clint really is the one who brought it up in the comments. We need a new term for this, right? Like, okay, what can we call this? Like, you know, we don't want to call it something lame. And, and we called it cricket tickling because, you know, you look at your live scope and you're like, 
where's my cricket? And then you're just yep. tick, you're just tickling it right there. So that's that's where it all started. I got you. That makes a little more sense now. I was like, what the heck is he talking? Is he like fly fishing? Is he throwing a little cricket? Like, what is he talking about? So it's just a fancy <laughs> way to say you're swimming a minnow in yep. the middle of the water yep. column. So you're, you're doing the little shake and bake. Oh, man. That's so funny. speaking of like shaking and baking, right? Anthony guys, yeah. like right off the fat, right off the hop, we have an awesome fan question. He says, you look like a meatloaf fan and he wants I mean, to know what your favorite song to blast on the road is. Is that related? I mean, is meatloaf and yeah. is a type of There's meatloaf? And meatloaf. Man, There's no, no, he's band. meatloaf. That's totally the band. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I have, I have no idea what that is. I'm thinking food. I mean, our favorite restaurant here in in uh, in town has a pretty good meatloaf. So, like, yeah, I'm I'm a meatloaf fan, but I have no idea what he's talking about music. Like, I'm really <laughs> not into a whole lot of music. I I'm more into the the podcast the educational side. Whenever I'm driving and always trying to listen and learn stuff, you know, use that time, I guess, wisely. You yeah. know, so I'm I'm a podcast guy. Fair enough. I just. I thought that was funny because meatloaf, uh, I had a neighbor like five or six, uh, probably 15, 16 years ago. Now time flies by. Right. And he loved to jam to meatloaf. And I'm just like, that's a hysterical question. Just to, like <laughs> <laughs> come right off the hopper. Yep. But, um, coming out, coming out strong with the questions. I like it. Keep them coming. And speak about coming out strong, right? 2024 hot start. Two yeah. top tens, a top twenty in the invitational of Big Sam. Like, what do you think has caused the hot start for you this year on the BPT and the Toyota series? Seen as to- the invitational, sorry, is a five fish limit, and BPT yeah. switched completely from last year to every fish counts again. Yeah, you know, heading into Toledo Bend, like I felt a little rusty and just a little like stressed just because everything got delayed for me. I mean, as usual, every bass fisherman, professional bass fisherman will cry the blues. I mean, it doesn't matter. We have the tournament schedule in what, September probably. And it's literally the last couple days leading up till the tournament before everything comes together and get wrapped and boat ready and everything. So literally like I was running around like a madman the two weeks prior to Toledo Bend. So like I felt rusty. I wasn't out fishing all the time. Like I didn't feel like I was in the tournament groove. So I was a little concerned heading into that one, but you know, luckily it, it fit my strengths. Well, you know, it was a, a forward facing sonar tournament straight up crickets. live scoping to Mickey rig tickling crickets. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, I, I felt comfortable and, and you know, I made a good decision to start the year and start in this one creek. And uh, it really just caught a bunch of fish and, and just kind of felt like we were right back on on the train from last year and, and never missed a beat. So, you know, I definitely could have seen that going the other way. I mean, if I didn't have a, a fast start in that tournament, you know, I could have seen how it, it could have went the other way pretty quick just because, you know, I had those feelings of, of just being rusty heading into that tournament. But obviously, once you have a good tournament, you know, your confidence is back. Everything's just rolling. And we literally went straight from championship round at Toledo Bend straight over to Sam Rayburn and practice started the next day and just kept rolling into that and had another good tournament there. And uh, then that just snowballed into Santee Cooper last week. And Sandy Cooper was not forward-facing fishing, but we'll talk on that in a second, right? So yeah. I'm curious, like, when you're out there throwing the minnow around, I know you're a Yamamoto guy, right? So are you yeah. a scope shad, a yeah. free and scope shad guy? And Can you, like, talk about the jig head maybe that you're using with that and your overall setup? Yeah, for sure. I mean... You know, there's there's so many baits out now and, you know, a lot of different different things. But to me, I mean, it's all imitating the same thing. You're just looking for a two and a half to four inch minnow style bait. So the biggest key that I want is a tail that sits this way rather than this way. So that's what I want on my bait is the tail sitting flat. And that's what the Yamamoto Scope Shad does. Um, so that's probably my number one most used bait is the three inch Yamamoto scope shad. They got all the, the good fish catching colors. Um, I got a couple exclusive colors with fish USA. The Becker's grape juice is like a perfect purple alewife imitating color. I mean, it is just money in that clear water that they feed on alewives. So I've been using a lot of that color, you know, throughout the winter and fall, but 
as far as jig heads, you know, I've tried them all. I've tried so many different things with them, you know, using like the flat ones, the ones with lips on it and everything. For me, the best that I have found is just a straight up ball head jig head. You know, I, I really like just the, the Kitek tungsten ball head with, uh, you know, I have a bunch of different sizes and I like the one-aught, two-aught and three-aught hook size, just depending on what bait you're using. But for that scope shad, I like the, uh, the two-aught size. That's probably my most used size is that, you know, I would say quarter ounce, two-aught is probably the most common jig head that i use for that technique but another good one is the uh the queen's tackle yeah sonar head you know yeah. those are pretty much the two heads that i use for for that technique just kind of switch it up based on weight and then the queen's tackle one has a little bit bigger hook in it so if you're using a bigger bait or something that's probably the head i go for and i might okay. be wrong here but the queen tackle head is shiny and the kitek one's like a dull green pumpkin black yeah. color right so like does that play a difference in like what bait you're choosing to pair with it as well um not so much the bait but i definitely play around with that on cloudy versus sunny days for sure you know i haven't had enough information or data you know bite ratio that kind of stuff with it to to really put anything together yet but i'm definitely something that i play with because you know that that queen's tackle head is very shiny so if that's rolling down there it's going to flash and uh you know i i haven't figured out if the flash is good or bad yet so i'm just kind of still playing around with that and figuring out what uh what's better for what situation sure now one question i have on both of those heads they have a um a, a very small bait keeper right i mean the queen jackal has literally that one little barb the the kitek is a really thin barrel uh some tungsten right yeah. coming back through how do you, how are you keeping these these baits on? Are you a super glue guy? Are you running through a lot of baits? What's your take there? I'm a super glue guy, big time. I mean, I love my super glue. I use the Gorilla Glue stuff. Um, man, I, I've tried to get them to sponsor me, and I, I I keep trying and trying. Like I'm telling them, like I know I can sell a bunch of Gorilla Glue for you, but no joke. I'm 100 a Gorilla Glue guy. I super glue everything. I mean. To me, it's all about efficiency. Like I do not want to waste time having to re-rig my bait. I'm going to super glue that thing on there. That way, whenever that bait gets completely tore up, that head is probably still glued to the jig head. And, uh, you know, you're due for a new bait by the time that head pulls off the jig head. So 100% I'm a super glue guy. You know, I, I glue everything. And, it, and it's only Gorilla Glue. Have you ever tried like the blue or red label Loctite super glue? I've used them all. So, so the deal with the Gorilla Glue is in the cap, there's a needle that goes through the, the mm -hmm. spout. So every time you close it, it makes sure that that's clean. And, you know, my, the, the most frustrating thing is whenever you use a, a thing of super glue and you go to open the next time and you can't get it open or it's just globbed up on top. So that's what I settled into the Gorilla Glue just because the cap has that needle in it. So every time you open it, it's going to work. Oh, that's good. No doubt. I mean, another, another, uh, going to your point on efficiency, I think something that I've been toying around with and, and, and thinking through on these type of tournaments, jig head minnow stuff, what is your take on, on leader size as far as what you're putting in front of that fish? Um, you know, are you a heavier guy and trying to be efficient and getting these fish in the boat as fast as you can? Do you feel like you need to come down? What's your take on, on line leader line? You know, I, I mix it up. So like Toledo Ben, for instance, I know, I mean, Koya just won fishing that technique and he was using really heavy line and that was right. more so to keep the bait higher. So that's mm -hmm. kind of what I've been messing with. You know, I mean, I'll drop down the six pound line if the water's really clear, you know, like I went out to uh, the US Open in the fall, catching the smallmouth at Lake Mojave, and they were super pressured, super hard to bite. So I was dropping down to six pound leader line for that. I would say the bulk of the time I'm I'm sticking with eight or ten. But Toledo Bend, for instance, all that timber around, the water was a little bit more stained. So I up to 12 pound line for you know being around that heavier cover. And then the fish were very high in the water column. So they were, you know, less than 10 feet from the surface. So I didn't have to worry about that line drag 
you know, keeping my bait high in the water column because I wanted to keep it up there anyway. So, you know, that all of those things kind of factor into it. But, you know, Seaguar is so strong and thin to begin with, you know, eight and 10 pound tatsu. I mean, it's it's pretty strong stuff. So I feel confident with that pretty much anywhere. And, you know, I'd rather use lighter line than heavier line. But that's just me personally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like it. Well, and I feel like I wonder, too, something that like I've, I haven't messed around with the super lightweights yet as far as like on the jig head goes. I really like how on the Kitek, for instance, you can go to like a 1 16th or a 1 8th, yeah. still a 2 odd or a 3 odd hook in it. Like that's hard to find in a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of situations. Have you messed with the super light stuff at all? Uh, and, and in that case, like, do you see just thinking through line size, right? Like say you are using 15 pound line. Does that mean you can then like you're, you know, you're, you're now going to three sixteenths or quarter ounce because it's going to maybe stay a little higher than if you were to use a 16 ounce and eight pounder, you know what I mean? As far as yeah. any takes there. For sure. I mean, I definitely, uh, like using the lightest jig head possible. So I have them from, from a 16th all the way up to like a half ounce, you know, okay. And uh, just depending on the depth they're in and, and, you know, the lighter the jig head, the more natural or more action that bait's going to have. So, you know, it, it takes, you have to be more patient, you know, it takes some time for that bait to sink and to, to act right. But definitely the lighter the jig head, the better it's, it's going to look and more natural it's going to look in the water. And, you know, as those fish get more and more pressure that you're going to have to tweak those little things and, and get more finesse with them. So, I mean, it won't be long till we're out there weightless, you know, twitching them in a weightless, just oh. letting it flutter down to them. So, I mean, that's the direction we're heading. So it's uh, it's pretty crazy to think about. You know, the heads are turning now, right, with all the forward-facing sonar. If you're fishing over 70 foot of water weightless with like a three-inch scope shed, I'm sure yeah. a lot of heads are going to turn. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. You know, the, the, a lot of the uh, Japanese guys have been been fishing like that with the, uh, you know, the Yamatanuki style baits. I mean, they're taking 10, 15 minute casts. So it, it's the same sort of thing. I mean, that's just the way we're heading. So as uh, the fish get more pressured, you got to you got to think of new things to trick them. Yeah. As I wonder, like in the future, how much the pressure is going to change the way these fish adapt to the anglers. And if all of a sudden you're in like four or five years, you're going to see this resurgence of people like going shallow when they shouldn't be shallow or because there's always fish there, but is it going to make a mass population of bass completely change what they do because they're basically being preyed on by us yeah. humans with forward facing sonar. For sure. Time. I mean, they, they, they're always going to win. So mother nature is always going to win. We, we can't do anything to, to hurt mother nature. So they're going to adjust. They're going to move. Something's going to happen. And uh, they, they will figure out real quick that, uh, you know, maybe the middle of the lake isn't quite as safe as it used to be. So they're going to go fuck <laughs> up under some trees or, or get some grass or something once they realize that, you know, they're, they're not as susceptible in, in the grass or whatever it may be. But you know, it's, it's crazy to think about how the times are going, but even, you know, even in shallow water now, you, you, you know, you just seen it like Okeechobee in the open with Scott Martin, like, yeah, the, the technology isn't just for deep open water. I mean, you can use it shallow and, you know, two or three foot of water. So it's, uh, you know, the technology's here and it's not going anywhere and it's, uh, you know, it helps you catch a bass from the bank all the way across to the other bank. It doesn't matter. That's a great point. So I want to get back on track here and talking about like the Bass Pro Tour and everything, right? Instead of just talking forward yeah. sonar baits and et cetera. But yep. um, now that the Bass Pro Tour has gone back to every fish counts, essentially, besides like the minimum weight size of fish, right. have you had to change your fishing style at all? And are there any like major adjustments that you've changed in your fishing game to improve more since winning AOI last year? Hmm. That's a loaded question. I mean, so I we've fished two events so far this year with the, uh, you know, the every fish counts format. And I would say, no, I did not like practice any different or fish the tournament any different. I mean, to me, I've always, my style in, in every tournament has always been, you know, find an area with a bunch of fish and just catch as many as you can 
and see what your five biggest weigh at the end of the day. So I've kind of taken that same approach into the every fish counts, but now everyone I catch over, you know, two pounds or one eight or whatever the minimum is that week, that one's going to count towards my, my daily total. So haven't really changed anything there. I would say, you know, maybe, um, you know, the bait selection would change a little bit. For instance, like Toledo Bend, you know, um, if I was just fishing for five and I needed like an eight or nine pounder, I could, you know, throw a bigger swim bait or something and kind of commit an hour or two of my day to that to look for that kicker. But, you know, other than that, I mean, Santee Cooper, for instance, I mean, that, our practice was so tough. It wasn't like you could go somewhere and get a lot of bites, but have to do this to catch big ones. It was like, you're only going to get five to 10 bites a day and they're all going to be big. So, you know, you're not going to do anything different in, in that tournament. So it was, uh, yeah, so far I haven't really had to adjust, you know, maybe, you know, the only one I'm really worried about on the schedule this year would be the St. Lawrence river. So that's a place where typically, you know, you make a long run and you get, seven to 10 bites a day and they're between three and five pounds and you weigh your 20 plus pounds of smallmouth. But it's also a place where you could go catch 32 to three pound largemouth. And that's going to be ahead of those guys targeting those bigger smallmouth or even targeting, you know, smaller smallmouth. So that's the one I think that it's going to take some, some strategy and, you know, really trying to play the format. And, uh, but we're a long ways from that. So we'll kind of figure that out as it gets closer. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Anthony Geist is coming in with another really good question. He doesn't want you to give up too much juice, but I think this kind of goes in the adjustment question. Have you had to manage your fish and spots differently now that it's every fish counts as opposed to just catching your best five every day? Yes. So the, the Bass Pro Tour format is so unique. You know, it, it's like no other tournament trail right now with the, the qualifying rounds then the weight zero and then you have a knockout round and then the weight zero again and then you have a one-day shootout you know top 10 one-day shootout for for all the marbles so what i've learned you know basically you, you spend your practice period you know the two and a half days of practice we get really just trying to find fish for that qualifying round and uh you know for me i like to ideal situation is you catch them good enough the first day of qualifying that you can kind of back off your stuff the second day and kind of expand and practice a little bit and find some fresh fish heading into the knockout round and then into the championship round. So that's kind of my strategy or game plan heading into each Bass Pro Tour tournament. But like, you know, some places it's just so tough, like Santee Cooper. I mean, it was you know, it was such a tough fishery that I couldn't really like lay off anything or like, you know, catch them good enough to separate myself from the field. You know, I had a great first day, but still I needed to catch some fish the second day in order to make the, the top 10 to make the knockout round. So, but yeah, I mean, that, that strategy is, uh, that's crucial. And, and that's how you win the tournaments is, is you gotta, you gotta manage your fish well and, continue to find more fish as the tournament goes on because things change so much the tournament's so long we got we're literally there for like nine days from the time practice starts till the last day of the tournament so like, like a marathon yeah, yeah the, i mean things change so much so so the the more you can stay on top of them the, the better you're going to do you know by the end of the tournament so all right so um I guess I want to move into right like social media and chatting about that. You do a really good job at being creative while practicing for tournaments and staying on top yeah. of it. You know, that's like a huge emphasis now for sponsors and marketing deals, et cetera. So how do you stay active while you're practicing and all the distractions going on? And also how did you feel about slinging that prop laid 50 feet in the air as you're running down Sandy? Yeah, I saw yeah. that. That was absolute. I've never seen any like you hear about people slinging blades, but it's like, yeah, that was wild. I know that's pretty crazy, and that that was the first for me to to see it. You know, like I've I've slung a few blades every year the last few years, but you know, to like I felt a little vibration or heard a noise or something because if you see, like I look back and the, the official like he like looks back, he flinched a little bit. But then I look around again and I just see that prop blade just flying like 50 feet up in the air. 
And like, as I'm looking at it, it's like boomeranging towards me. So like it, it's coming back towards us. If if you watch the video, you'll see from the time it, it flies off, there's like a couple seconds pass by and we go past the, a tree. The, the prop blade literally landed on that tree. Like it hit that tree on the way down. So like it was coming towards us still. So like that was kind of going through my mind. I was like, I can't let off this till I get like away from this prop blade because that's the last thing I want. But the boat's shaking like. Uh, Oh, yeah, it's shaking and making some (laughs) weird noises like crazy. But thankfully, so that happened right after uh, lines out. So we were actually like tournament was over. We packed up our stuff. We kind of hung out for a second, got some snacks like we had we had like a 30 minute boat ride back. So we're like, all right, let's get settled in. And uh, we were going to ride back to uh, to the takeoff, and and they have kind of the trophy ceremony and watch party and everything. And we got like maybe two miles, maybe probably not even two miles, a mile and a half, and and that blade threw off. And then once I come down off a of pad, I couldn't even get back up on pad because the prop was completely destroyed. So oh. I had to just idle idle to a ramp, and and luckily Brittany had the truck, but it was, it was an hour driving the truck. So she was at the ramp waiting. So it was an hour there to pick me up and then an hour back. So by the time we got back, it was dark and everyone was gone. So we didn't even get to hang out at the trophy ceremony and see all the fans and everything. So that was a little bit of a bummer, but you know, on the social media side of things, like, you know, I got to give a lot of the credit to Brittany. I mean, she, she handles all that. That's basically uh, her full-time job now is just help me with, social media, YouTube editing. That's literally what she's doing right now is editing up the videos from Santi Cooper. So she takes a lot of that stress off of me and and handles a lot of that. And then, uh, you know, the other crucial thing is we put it on the calendar. Like we schedule in media day, content days where we'll either, you know, shoot a bunch of videos in the garage or, you know, go on the water and do a bunch of content. That way we have stuff in the camera roll in the bank roll ready to post whenever you know i'm at a tournament or something where i can't you know just jump on it and shoot the video right then that way we have some stuff in the bank and and make sure that we uh you know checking all the boxes for the sponsors because that's the most important thing is keeping the sponsors happy and uh, we we try and make sure that we always do everything we're supposed to do and then a little more just to uh keep the sponsors happy Absolutely. Dude, that is some juice advice as far as that's something that I think uh, anyone, angler, uh, podcast hosts, like scheduling those days for content in advance of like, you know, because you can never have enough content and it's really hard to be consistent. I mean, even posting on social, right, of like daily, weekly, whatever it may be. It's just, dude, it is such a grind in my eyes. But if you have that day or on the calendar where you're like, man, this is what we're doing today. We're just cranking yep. this all out, putting it in the hopper and we'll roll it through as the season goes on. Uh, I think that's super great advice for any anglers looking to bolster their, their social media. For sure. I mean, my best advice will be get yourself a girlfriend or wife who really loves. <laughs> really loves you, right? <laughs> really loves editing videos because that is uh, the biggest blessing that I, I could ever imagine. I mean, it yeah. takes all the, the stress off of me for that. And I'm not going to just focus on fishing and it, you know, it's shown the last few years, that's for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's uh super important to, uh, you know, make sure you have the content and, uh, you know, for us, we're so busy with tournaments and we don't really have that many days off as it is, but that just adds that much more importance on scheduling those content days to, to be able to get it all and have it for when we need it. Absolutely. Is there any like piece of content you enjoy making as opposed to like you do not like making? Oh, uh, no, I enjoy it. Everything, everything bass fishing. I love, you know. I love every part of it, you know? So, I mean, the, the, I would say at first, when I first got into it, I, I was horrible behind the camera. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And then like, I I could be able to talk fine, but then I would turn the camera on and I would just start stuttering and just get nervous. And like, I mean, it just, you know, the more you do it, the, the, uh, the better you, you get at it. And, you know, it's, I've come to like, enjoy it. And, you know, I love, helping people catch more fish that, you know, that's what my, like my YouTube channel is all about is I want to help 
the the viewers and and the subscribers catch more bass so like i enjoy the teaching side of it and helping people catch more fish and uh you know i love hearing the the feedback and the stories when people you know comment on there and say that you know this tip helped them catch more fish like that's what it's all about to me so i really uh enjoyed that part of it absolutely so uh ready to move on to santee and how you caught him there because we know that yeah. you, you did not use forward facing Let's do it. Let's do it. so straight power fishing fest for you there besides slinging a blade you were yeah. uh, casting a different type of blade around and you want to walk us through how you caught him there yeah let, let's go through the whole tournament so we uh there's been a bunch of rain over that way and and santee cooper is two lakes it's uh marion and moultrie they're extremely muddy i hate fishing muddy water so that kind of like narrowed down my my choices to begin with. And then we had extremely cold weather all throughout practice. So it was like 30 degrees in the morning and it's getting up to like a high of 50. So like the water temperature wasn't warming up much. It was in like the low to mid fifties. I would say it would start out around 49 or 50 every morning and get up to like 54, 55 by the end of the day. And then, you know, drop back down at night. So you know, I was spending a lot of my time, my, my first day and a half of practice, I was spending in the upper lake in Marion. And a lot of the cover in there is shallow, like two foot or less, you know, maybe three foot or less is where the bulk of the cover is. It's just cypress trees and eelgrass and stumps, stuff like that. And I just couldn't wrap my head around fishing in three foot of water in a 30 degree morning. So I just kind of scrapped all of that. And I couldn't really make sense of how the fish moved in Marion, you know, because basically what I gather after the tournament is these fish live on these cypress trees. They pre-spawn there, they winter there, they spawn on the trees. Like they just live on these cypress trees all year long. And I just couldn't understand that in practice. So I ended up running to the lower lake in Lake Moultrie. It's an area I found in pre-practice. I went over there in uh, January and just kind of looked around a little bit, but I found an area that had, you know, some spawning areas and then outside the spawning areas had some hydrilla. So I knew like there's going to be some bass in there somewhere. So basically I, I went to that area and went all the way to the back, basically to where the, the bass would be spawning and just started working my way out deeper until I found where the fish were in between. So I ended up stumbling into uh, some areas with the hydrilla. There was a couple different, you know, sh stretches of hydrilla and say that three to six foot, four to six foot range is basically what I was keying on. And those fish were kind of moving into spawn. They're, they're, you know, they're not far off spawn. And I would say within the next week or two, they're going to be moving in there to spawn. And uh, that's just where I kind of collided with them on my my way working out deeper to to find where those fish were staging and uh you know I, I only got a handful of bites in practice but that area had you know five or six seven spots or little drains creeks pockets whatever you want to call them that all set up similar and uh, i just knew you know the bass were going to be in there somewhere so i only got a handful of bites in practice but i felt like if I went there and spent my whole tournament day in that area, you know, I could fish around in there, be real thorough and get a handful of bites and, and do well. And, you know, it turned into the, the day one lead. So it was, uh, you know, it was a good decision looking back, but yeah, I, I basically fished that, that hydrilla say four to six foot of water with a, a chatterbait and a, a couple different lipless baits. You know, the Bill Lewis hammer trap was uh, probably the, the most used one that uh, caught a lot of key fish. So it, it was a lot of fun. You know, it was, uh, it was good. It felt really good to not catch him on a jig head minnow. Mm, <laughs> I, I all on a bait caster, except one, my very last fish of the tournament, I caught on a wacky rig under a dock, but every fish up till that I caught 100% on a bait caster, 15 pound line and just got the power fish. I didn't see any of them eat on forward facing sonar so it was casting you know 100 150 feet away from the boat and just fishing that hydrilla so that was uh that was cool to go old school i guess and, and so fish. what is your old school trap setup then because everyone has like yeah the varying opinions of like rod length 
Yeah. Should it be a fast action, a moderate action? Like kind of walk us through like rod reel, line combo, what rod it is, et cetera. Yeah, I, I mean, I really love throwing a trap. I probably consider that one of my my strengths. You know, like I'm a little bit of a a trap connoisseur. I got so many different different kinds and colors and sounds and everything. And, you know, they all kind of excel in different situations. But the setup is really key. So I, I was throwing – I had all of them on the same setup. So there is a, the favorite – defender series so it's a cheap rod it's a hundred dollar rod you anyone can you know go get you a favorite defender it's a hundred dollar rod um, i was throwing the seven foot five medium heavy so it's a longer rod because i was you know fishing open water so i'm making really long casts with it and i'm more of like a yo-yo and or a stop and go retrieve on my trap so mm. i basically wind it as fast as i could you know pop the rod tip let that bait flutter up and then pause it until it falls back down to that grass. And pretty much all the bites come on that fall. Like as soon as you you stop it and that bait's falling back down, you know, they thump it. And that's when you just kind of lean into them. So I needed that longer rod to basically sweep that rod tip up. And, you know, it, it it's labeled as a medium heavy, but I would classify it as more of like a medium medium, heavy, moderate, fast, you know, it's not a super fast tip. So it, it's, it's very nice moderate. Yeah. And it, it handles those, those, uh, treble hook baits. Well, you know, it's, it's not too, it's not a very fast tip that you're going to snatch the treble hooks right out. So, you know, it's just enough tip that you could snap it out of the hydrilla, but you know, soft enough that once you hook the fish, you know, you, you could play them and, and you're not going to lose them. So I was really impressed with that rod for, uh, for the traps this week. And, you know, I had four or five, six different baits on the deck, all with the same, same rod and reel line, you know, 15 pound Seaguar and Vizex is uh, what I threw for, for all of them. Love it. Thank you. So, yeah. That makes me excited. I want to go rip a trap. Yeah. Right now. It's Hold been on. a while since I got on that bite, but man, it, it was a lot of fun. Cause you know, and I didn't really realize it in practice, but as the tournament went on, I realized that there was like multiple fish in the same spot. So when I would get one, the bite, generally it was, you know, the next couple casts, like I was going to get another bite because it kind of got them fired up. So I pretty much started the tournament. I, I eased into this, this little patch of hydrilla where I, I had one bite in practice. I catch one on a chatterbait pretty quick. And uh, then, you know, I give out a few more casts, nothing. And then I pick up the hammer trap and it was like five of the next 10, probably not even 10 casts, five of like the next seven casts. I, I had a bite and hooked one. So like it was, uh, you know, once you found them and got them fired up, it was, it was pretty wild. And then we kind of had the similar situation in the knockout round where I got a school fired up twice that day where I caught three and three casts. And then I was actually sitting outside the cut with, uh, I was in 14th place with three minutes to go and I eased back up onto this little spot and uh, I caught two scoreables in the last three minutes and jumped into the top 10. Oof, that's rapid fire. Yeah, that was, that was exciting. And, and it was, uh, you know, that's what the major league fishing format's all about. You know, going back to the every fish counts format was literally for that reason right there. You know, it was uh, really cool and really, um, exciting for the fans and everyone watching and exciting for myself. I mean, I, I really, you know, can't remember any time I've been in a tournament where my heart was racing. I was out of breath. Like I was sweating. I mean, it was, it was a mess just cause it was so intense, you know, right there at the end, catching those couple fish to, to beat the buzzer. And, you know, it's like any other sport, like kicking a game winning field goal or whatever, just like the adrenaline rush of right at the, the buzzer to, to do that. It was pretty crazy. And now you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but you cannot cast until the fish is weighed and like you agree on it, correct? Correct. Correct. And I actually got a little slack from that from a couple of my buddies because so I needed 314 to get in the cut and I catch one and it weighs 313. Oh, so they're like, why don't you reweigh it? And, you know, check. And I was like, it never even crossed my mind. Like I grabbed the fish, unclipped it threw him over the side and had another cast out in like two seconds from the time he said the wait. And, you know, it was that cast that I caught one. So it was like, 
that thought never even crossed my mind. I was like, I just need to get back in there and catch another one. Cause at this point I had like, you know, seconds, two minutes left. And they're like, man, you know, you could have reweighed that and maybe got another ounce and, and would have moved in, but, or, or it could have stayed the same and you lost a minute. Well, and exactly. That's minute. what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm like, okay, say I reweigh it twice and there's, I just wasted 30 seconds and it, it stayed the same. So I, yeah. I, I trust the scales. I don't really believe that. You know, I think, uh, you know, if you're worried about rechecking the weights of the scale, you should just do what my hat says and just catch more bass, just catch wow. another one, you know? So that's kind of what I was thinking at the moment. But, uh, uh, you know, a few of my buddies were like, dude, you should have reweighed that thing. And, you know, maybe we would have got an ounce, but I never <laughs> even thought about it. Uh, hey, I wonder if it's funny. I, w- I wonder if there's like a statistic if someone out there uh, smarter than all of us has ever taken a watching the coverage of Major League Fishing and yeah. seen how many of those actually play out to where it it actually is uh, advantageous to weigh it a second time. You know yeah, I mean? I mean the only one that I can think of is Bobby Lane at Redcrest, where you know he won you know on that reway right at the end of the day. But oh, and it was like a barely keeper too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, it weighed one fifteen. And then, you know, he reweighed it and it weighed too even. And, and that was the one that bumped him over the top with like two minutes to spare or something. So like that was that was a crazy, crazy experience. And and I mean, I would say I have tried like, every time I get a fish that's one ounce below the minimum weight. If it's a one if it's two pound minimum and I weigh a 115, yes, I'm going to try it again. But never have I, you know, caught a scoreable bass that, you know, weighed 313 do i think oh no like let's try it again so i get a 314 like you know the only time that i've even thought about reweighing is if it's one ounce short of the minimum weight for that day so <laughs> but you know i i see what they're saying is you know i could have gained an ounce there or whatever but or I, lost I a minute scales. and i caught the next fish yeah exactly you never know how it's going to play out but that was a that was a wild wild last period for sure Love it. So we know about your trap setup, but Matt Omer is asking, what is your chatterbait setup? Because you mentioned you're throwing a chatterbait as well. Yep. So my chatterbait setup, it's the, actually the same length in action. So it's the favorite hex, seven foot five medium heavy. But the hex model of rod is a little bit faster tip. You know, it's a higher end rod. It's a $400 rod. So it's higher end graphite, more sensitive. And it's a faster tip. So I like a really high-end, fast tip rod for my chatterbaits because I want to feel every single turn of that blade. If it, you know, there's a little tiny piece of grass on there, I want to feel it. I'm not a, a glass rod fan. So I'm on the, the seven foot five medium heavy hex and a 15 pound Invisex on that. You know, I was just throwing a three-eighths jackhammer and then putting the uh the three-inch Yamamoto Zeku on there. So I really like the three inch Zaco rather than the four inch because it's, it's a much smaller bait and it lets that chatterbait like hunt more. So whenever you twitch it, you know, it, it darts side to side a lot more than the four inch Zaco just cause that is not as much bulk on there kind of holding it back. So I always go with the three inch Zaco and uh, you know, I think it was a spot remover color in the chatterbait with a disco green trailer to match it. Because that spot rumor has a little bit of chartreuse in it as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Nice it's kind of like a, a transparent chartreuse-ish looking color, and it just it showed up well in that little bit dirtier water down there. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, That's, Anthony Cooper was fun. <laughs> heck, yeah, man. Power fishing, getting after it, pre-spawn, big ones rolling yeah. up. That's, uh, yeah. that's good stuff. That's the first time I've heard of, of the – I'm I'm a very similar as far as chatterbait, uh, but I'm always have just kind of standard put on a four inch um, Zeko on the back and just never yeah. thought twice about it. But I like that idea. It's a little more compact as well. Maybe get you a couple mm-hmm. more bites, get you pressured, uh, and maybe you don't have as much float, right? Like I have a hard time throwing uh, light chatterbaits just because I want it to be down and in the grass. And obviously that's kind of depth uh, dependent. Right. But I think, you know, that's a, that's a unique take. I like that. I haven't heard that as, as far as a small trailer on a chatter bit. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it lets you throw a lighter bait. So like you could throw a three eighths and get it a little bit deeper and then, Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's back to the same thing as with the Demiki rig. The lighter the, the weight of the jig head, the more action it's going to have and more hunting it's going to have. So, you know, I always try and do that. And then, uh, you know, the, the bigger the trailer, the higher it's going to want to ride in the water column, you know, the more drag you're going to have. So it's going to pull it up higher and it's not going to let it side to side hunt as much. So the totally. three inch Zayco is, is money for that. Now we're all going to be picking up three inch Zayco. Yeah, I'm fine with not everyone knowing that, you know, it's kind of sad. <laughs> Cats out of the bag. I'm sorry, Matt. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Hopefully not too many of your competitors listen, right? Yeah. So. I think everyone knows, everyone has their own, own opinion on chatterbait trailers. That's one thing that like, you could ask 10 different people and probably get 10 different answers on what they want with their chatterbait trailer, but yeah. Hey, whatever works. I think it's just a fish catching bait. hundred <laughs> percent. It so, is dude. Yeah. So let, let's round it out here, right? Like red crest is coming up. That's probably the next tournament on your docket. It's yeah. your first one. I know you were at, um, norm was it norman right last year working the expo yeah. so you know what the expo is like yeah how excited are you to be at red crest and first and the big elephant in the room right is do you have your speech ready for the aoi speech and does it go along the lines of kind of like i'm glad somebody topped off wheeler <laughs> Yeah, nope. I uh, I I've been been piecing together. So like, I was in the shower earlier, and like, every it's like the most inopportune times where like I'll just come up with like blurts of what I want to say in this speech, and like I have no way to write this down, and I'm definitely gonna forget. But like, it's been crossing my mind a little bit, and just kind of taking some notes. I gotta sit down and just like write it all. But that's like that's something I'm dreading. Like I'm not a speech writer. I'm not a speech giver. Like I'm just a bass fisherman. So like, I, I don't know what to say, you well, know, just treat it like a podcast, right? Like you're sitting here, you're very fluent with your speech. I think you'll be all right. Well, see, that's the thing is like, I can spitball just fine. I can just talk about anything and, you know, get an idea and just roll with it. But like, I have to sit down and like, think it out and write it. Like, yeah. That's why I didn't go to college or had trouble in high school. Like I can't, I can't do all this. This is like homework. It's like Will Ferrell in uh, Talladega Nights. I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah, I'm like yeah. what? What do I do here? <laughs> but yeah, that's gonna be interesting. And I mean, that that's just uh, it's very humbling, you know, just to have a great season last year, and you know, it's an honor to uh, to have to write the speech. So I'm. I'm excited about it for sure. I'm excited about Red Crest in general. Like you said, it's my first time fishing Red Crest. So I'm excited to be on that side of it. I've been to uh, the last two Red Crests actually to work the expo. So now I get to see the other side of it and hopefully fish the whole time and not have to go to the show at all. But, you know, if if we don't make the cut or whatever, we'll be there at the show hanging out with all the fans and, and working with the sponsors. But, you know, Lay Lake in uh, middle of March – it uh, it should be pretty down, good. I think I would think or assume, right? Like, yeah, without getting into too much detail. So, hopefully, you can catch them the way you want to catch them and have a really good tournament. It, do you anticipate it being like one any certain way? Man, I I, I really don't know. You know, I went I pre practiced there as well and just kind of rode around the lake a little bit. But to me, it seemed like it was a, a shallow water fishery. You know, there, there there wasn't a whole lot of cover out off the bank. It seemed like it was mostly bank-oriented, you know, docks and, and grass and that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I could see it getting one without live scope, you know, just throwing a swim jig down the bank if, if we get the right weather. Or, you know, if it's cold and nasty, I could see, you know, spotted bass playing out in the middle of the lake. You, you really just never know. And I'm going to do a little bit of both, I think. But it's really going to come down to the to the current conditions, you know, the, the weather conditions, the water color, water clarity and current. So, you know, that's on the Coosa River so they can uh, they can pull a bunch of current through there. And obviously that's going to group up fish and set them up different than if there's no current. So it's uh, it's, it's going to be very conditional. And, and I think it's going to take some adjustments over the, you know, the week that we're there. But I'm excited and uh, I think it'll be be a good one. Yeah, I anticipating that being a fun event to watch. Because are you guys coming? 
Um, I will not be there. I'm not sure about Deacon or Bailey. I haven't talked to them about it, but I'm not, I'm honestly not sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm tied up during that week. I'll certainly be tuning in, but I know we did talk about it. Um, I'm not sure Bailey, Bailey may be there. I'm not sure, but we, we talked about it here this last couple of weeks. It's like, yeah, man, just a, just a revolving March wheel. Is tough. Oh, March I know. Is tough. <laughs> it's, it's a busy time of year. And then, yeah, you got back to back with the classic and it's, it's tough on everybody for yeah. sure. Unfortunately. Right. Like it's mm. just the way the bass fishing world is now. It's, yep. It seems like there's a tournament every week, which it's awesome for the viewers, but it's got to be exhausting for the ones who are actually fishing and tuning in and driving and continually just going. It's I know. Oh, that's what. Yeah, I, I was considering uh, signing up for the Invitational this week, but it's just like you know, a little bit of time off once in a while does does a man good. Let me regroup on tackle and stuff, but Think I couldn't really well, I, yeah, I have to do that. But again, I, I couldn't sit still for too long. I signed up for a BFL this weekend on Dale Hollow. So I'm going to wow, go fish that on it. Saturday. And then uh, then we got another few days off and it's, it's heading to Redcrest the following Saturday. So, uh, you know, love just kind of get caught up on things around the house. I probably have to, uh, you know, do the dreaded tax season next week and uh, uh, get all that stuff yeah. squared up. Yeah, sorry to bring a negative topic in. Oh, man, yeah. the stress, the stress that yeah. the tax season has. I don't know, man. Like, oh, it's it's brutal to me. Like, just it is yeah. just such a freaking. If you are self-employed or an independent contractor in anything that you do, it is like <laughs> it's a it's a whole absolute. Like, all right, I don't know how long this is going to take, but it's going to take forever to figure out. Know, it's funny. Like I feel like I've been piecemealing my taxes together since like the January first, and I'm still I'm still only like twenty five percent done of everything I yeah. need to do. It's just, yep, oh. yep, and then it makes you want to throw up when you're done. So because yeah, usually you're writing a check, so it's yeah, like, dang it, <laughs> yeah, procrastinate. Yep. I was I think I would rather light it on fire. I would at least get some enjoyment out of that, but. You watch it burn. Yeah. I mean, it's just giving it away. You don't know where it's going, what it's doing, but uh, it is what it is. It's the country yeah. we live in. Unfortunately. I, I got, it's true. I got one question for you, Matt. With the right. now, now that you've been there for a little while, the relocation to Tennessee uh, in that region, uh, what's your take on it, man? I mean, it's kind of something I'm someone out west and have some friends that have moved back east and – uh, look, I've always loved the idea and maybe fantasize a little bit about like, okay, where would be the best place in the country for yeah. tournament fishing? And it's like, I feel like right in that market, you're, you're, you're spot on with it, but what's, how do you like living there? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like we, you know, living in Pittsburgh wasn't really conducive to bass fishing lifestyle. You know, it was a little bit further out of the way to every tournament. So we basically looked at the, you know, the general geographic center of most of the tournaments and, and kind of started looking in this area and, and stumbled into this. And, man, I would say it's one of the best things I've ever done for my career. You know, I got a, a, a shop now where I got all my fishing stuff in one place where I, you know, back the boat in, got everything I need right there, can work on tackle, get everything dialed in on that side of things. And then just the you know, the ease of driving. So like Santee Cooper, for instance, was just six hours down the road. Like that's an easy one day drive, you know, previously that would be turn into a two day drive and then the added expense of another hotel room and that kind of stuff. So like, and then not to mention just the, the extra time on the road and, and stress on your body instead of being at home. I mean, it, all of that stuff factors into it. So I love it not to mention fishing all year long and, you know, never have to worry about the lakes being frozen or anything crazy like that. So I, uh, I thought we moved here to get away from the snow, but then we got 10 inches of snow this year, but that, that was pretty rare. They said that hasn't happened in like 30 years. So hopefully uh, we, we won't have to worry about that again, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been awesome. I love every, every minute of it and, uh, looking forward to, uh, another summer here so i can learn some more about the lakes around here because i haven't really got to fish much at home just because we're, we're always gone so much but i plan on learning some more this this year 
There's a bunch of like little like sneak holes around there too that aren't oh, yeah. really known to the public, right? Like smaller, yeah, like ten thousand acre lakes. Oh yeah. So like within a you know an hour and a half, I mean there's endless lakes, but you start getting into like the the northwest south or North Carolina, Georgia, northeast Georgia. Like there's some sneaky mountain lakes over there that that are really good that. I want to, I want to mess around with, but then like the other side is like, I live literally four minutes from a boat ramp on Watts bar. So like, I want to learn how to catch a bass in that lake too, because like <laughs> I live here and like, you could bet me a hundred dollars to go out on Watts bar right now. And I don't think I could catch a bass. Like, <laughs> it, I, I don't have a clue where to even start. So like, I want to learn this lake just because it's so close and then you know branch out so it, it may take me a couple years before we find all the sneak holes around here but there's definitely some sneaky ones up in those mountains for sure absolutely yeah just in and now that part of the country to me is so cool clear water just yeah yeah awesome, everything awesome fishing right i mean yeah suit so versatile where yeah. how did you decide where in i mean like tennessee right like there's a lot of different bodies of water um yeah. right in that region but why why did you pick right next to watts bar versus um you know chattanooga or going the other way you know what what was your take yeah well we i mean we really started looking around you know the dayton or saudi daisy area that was kind of like the center that we were we started looking and they just kind of started expanding the radius from there and we're basically right at the watts bar dam so we're only like 30 minutes from dayton so we're we're pretty close there um but you know just started looking for uh you know there was a few things we wanted we wanted a little bit of land and then you know you know obviously enough room to either have a garage or build a garage and so those you know there was some specific things that we were looking for in you know the house we were looking for so you know just kind of started expanding the radius and and ended up finding this one so it was uh it was perfect timing and, and, uh, it's been a perfect bass fishing house for sure. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Matt, I think we're going to round it out here and, uh, let you get back to the more important things than hanging out with us, but we greatly appreciate you taking time here again on Tuesday night for joining us on Tuesday night live. It seems like you've been a frequent flyer here on the serious angler show. Yeah. As of recently, and we greatly appreciate you taking the time. And um, I wish you the best of luck the rest of the year. Safe travels and uh, go catch them up at Lay. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. You know, like I always say, I'm always down to talk some bass fishing. So that's, that's all I do is, is eat, sleep, and breathe bass fishing. So if I'm not talking to you guys about it, I'm probably Listen. either in the garage doing something or sitting on the couch looking at navionics or pretending i'm watching tv with Brittany. that's what she always says i'm just you know always looking at the maps instead of watching tv show with her but you know that's, we're always doing something bass fishing so anytime you guys need a guest or whatever i'm always game to hop on and talk a little bit so yeah thanks for having me and uh, hopefully we can uh, just keep this momentum rolling and keep reeling in some bass this year absolutely go get yourself uh, another big trophy this year yeah that would be we're, cool we're rooting for you so thank you appreciate it absolutely thank you yeah, man tear it up yeah. yeah we'll talk to you soon all right adam awesome show tonight right like having matt on he's been on a lot lately and i know you're not over here much with bailey and i but that was cool like oh yeah to, man and to talk old school right like power fishing sign me up dude that's the thing like i don't know i i keep like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, all this forward-facing sonar talk, I think it'll always play and it'll always be a factor, but um, there's still going to be derbies where guys top 10 doing stuff that's not that way. And we're going to continue to see that. Um, and I think that's something to keep in mind always uh, as anyone fishing in tournaments is like, like for him, right? That's something super comfortable yeah. it is, is throwing a chatterbait in grass. And that is something that you can't really utilize forward facing. You might be able to look and see the grass line. You might be able to see a patch over here, but it's not like you're targeting a specific fish. And that's something that can absolutely catch big ones. Number one and number two, put a lot of fish in the boat when it's right. So, uh, 
I don't know. To me, I just love to love to hear that in today's day and age and in, in yeah. February, you know. There's always like and that and I think we were talking about on fantasy fishing on Toledo. It's like, yeah, forward facing is exposing a new area lake that basically like we just assumed was void of fish for so many years, right? Or we knew they were there, but nobody knew how to catch them efficiently. But like if a couple of these guys didn't tune into that and more guys went shallow, I'm sure you would have saw giant bags come from shallow somewhere on the lake. But why do it when you have this technology that makes something so efficient? And when you're fishing for a hundred grand and a trophy in your livelihood, you better do what's most efficient. Dead on. So like, I love it. I don't hate on forward facing sonar, you know, I know you don't. I know Bailey doesn't. We just love catching fish, and that's what it comes down to. And seeing the old school ways of things going on, it, it just like gets me all giddy inside. Like I'm, I want to go to a Finger Lake right now and go rip a trap out of grass and lean on a few uh, big ones because uh, it's about uh, that time. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Oh. I'm, I'm last minute trying to make work wise. I've got some, some stuff going on, but I'm trying to make Clear Lake work. And Clear Lake is absolutely the Toyota series here in, in a week, oh, literally, geez. or I guess it'd be at the end of next week, but it is going off, right? Like it is old Clear Lake kind of going down and you bet that I will absolutely have a trap on at Clear Lake and, uh, and can see myself power fishing for some great big ones. Uh, so it's got me fired up and, and trying to, trying to see what we can do. But go do it. And, uh, hopefully you can fit it into that insanely busy schedule you have over there. So you know, that's it, man. It's all well, right. Yeah, we'll see what we fair. can do. Hey, you gotta take every inch you can, right? So, but Adam, mm-hmm. anything else you want to touch on before we uh, close out the show here? I want to say thank you for uh, joining me last minute as Bailey had some plans come up to where he couldn't do this. I I think it was a really smooth and awesome show today, and I want to thank everyone also for tuning in that tuned in and asked some sweet questions. So. Yeah, man. No, it's, it was a great show. Happy to happy to hop in and and certainly enjoy talking the fishing stuff, right? Like I was bring up, we always have some fishing stuff on business from the bass boat, but like to just dive into like the passion that we all have for this, it's a lot of fun. And to hear from yeah. one of the best out there right now, right? Yeah. Like he is yeah. on Matt, fire. Matt is is incredible uh, as far as his performance this last couple of years. So. Okay. Uh, great to have Matt on. Talk about it all. Just got me fired up to uh, to get after it here and and continue to have fun watching him and his season and everything else. Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to close it up here. Uh, no game show tonight because we just poorly planned that, and I was not able to come up with a game show or find guests for it here in the last minute. So that one is on me. But uh, we'll round it out here and uh, stay tuned for. The Lure Lab that will be coming out on Saturday morning. I'm not sure what the episode will be. I'm trying to find a guest and figure out what technique we're going to talk about. But what's coming up on Business from the Bass Boat as we round out here? Yeah, we've got some cool stuff coming. Uh, one that we've been working on for a while is uh, is talking a little bit of Phoenix Boats and Rec Lending uh, nice. cross up as far as, uh, as a lending deal going on on Phoenix Boats specifically and exclusively. <laughs> with rec lending, uh, to get into a boat right now with high rates. It's a, it's a tough market, right. With a lot of that stuff. So looking forward to that one, uh, that should be coming here in the next, uh, hopefully this next week, but we'll see. It's going to certainly come in the next couple of weeks and, and just, man, we've got some, some other ones in the hopper and, and working through, uh, some good stuff as we get ready to go to the classic and everything else. Uh, bass fishing is, it's a hot time of the year. Everyone's thinking about it. Oh, for sure. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm I actually have to book my flight still, but I'm looking forward to the classic. So, and I know you, you might sink down for a day, right? Yeah. I'm running, running, running the the plans as well with that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, for sure, man. No. And uh, I, I guess for you, man, what do you have in the hopper being uh, a lure lab, but also um, anything coming up serious angler wise and, and what's your guide schedule like in oh, March? Gosh. So like? March, it's pretty much filled up now because of the classic that takes like a week out of things, but lots of steelhead trying to figure out where I can get my boat in to get its service for the year. Even though I probably don't have to, when I put it away, I only had like 
27 hours on it since my last oil change and lower unit but i'm gonna flush it out anyways just because it's spring want to make sure i start fresh but um coming in april we'll be bass fishing a ton all the way until about august i'm basically fully booked besides like four or five days in april and two or three days in july and we're talking like six days a week booked because i don't guide on mondays i'm home with my girls my little girls so yeah it's um yeah it's a good life. It's great. Yeah, man. So, Love, it. Right. Love it. But yeah, Lure Lab, a um, bunch of stuff is in the hopper. It's just getting people scheduled, some finesse stuff coming, even some power fishing episodes. It's just finding time with pros fishing tournaments literally every week, sometimes multiple tours on the same week, and finding the appropriate guests for the appropriate technique. So if anyone here listening still has any suggestions on what they'd like to see, send it over to the Lure Lab Instagram page. And same to the Serious Angler, if you want to see something on the business from the Bass Boat side or the Serious Angler show, never be afraid to slip us a DM because we're open to suggestions and bringing the best shows possible to our viewers. No doubt about it. So, yeah. Well, ready to wrap this up here? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in to this week's Tuesday Night Live, and we will see you next time. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.